The Alabama Crimson Tide heading back to Tuscaloosa for homecoming against the Arkansas Razorbacks. But before we get into all that on pass interference, we got to break down that less than stellar performance against Texas A&M. Of course, we'll go what went right, what went wrong, especially there in that second half. And then after that, we'll look forward to that impending matchup against the Razorbacks. Got another good one for you coming up this week. It's the Bama episode, pass interference. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Keep on listening. How's it going, everybody? Year 3, episode 15 of Pat's Interference. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Bama episode. Uh, We will be going over the Texas A&M Aggie win, which was way too close for comfort. And then we will be previewing the Arkansas Razorback game this weekend for homecoming. Homecoming, Uh, baby. A pretty a pretty good episode on hand. I you know I don't think either of us were too thrilled with the uh, with the result on Saturday, but I think we can kind of both agree that that was a worst case scenario for anyone who's listening for the first time. My name is Patrick Norwood. I'm Patrick Brickman. You uh you uh you ready for homecoming? That's why we opened with Kanye West's homecoming. By the way, I love it. No, I I that's great. That's great. I mean, we've talked about that album what every single day since we've met. Yeah, pretty much. It's what so we first bonded over. All those years ago. Why not start it off with that? Uh, Everybody, thank you so much for listening, clicking, uh, however you're listening at home. Uh, We really appreciate it. If you're looking for the national episode, you'll have to wait a couple days later in the week. uh, and We'll we'll do a national episode because we've got a lot to go over in that one, including Bricks Heisman hopeful just getting absolutely trounced by a team he shouldn't have gotten trounced by. But I digress. (laughs) Uh, This is the Bama episode again, like I said. Uh, so if, if you're a Bama fan, you are on the right episode. Brick, you just want to dive right into it, my friend? Well, we played Texas A&M. You're talking about a 27-19 final. This game was in College Station, uh, and it was, a, it was a late surge by A&M that made this one interesting. So, yeah, this is the first game that we've had uh, since the Florida State game that I really want to spend a good amount of time dissecting and talking about. You know, because we've played a lot of... Even conference games have been blowouts and, and then the you know the, the so-called uh, cupcake games. Not much to take away from those other than that we were playing well. This is the first true test we've had in over a month. Sure, and I, I kind of want to switch it up here. Uh, usually we kind of break down offense, then defense, do that sort of thing. I kind of want to mix and match brick. And the way I want to do it is I want to ask you uh, some things that Alabama did uh, that were very positive uh, from this game. What what good positive takeaways did you have from this Alabama game this past Saturday against the Aggies? Okay, well, if we're going to start off with the positives, I will tell you um, everybody not named Robert Foster is still uh, without a turnover this season. By that, I mean I, we still haven't thrown an interception. We had one fumble. Robert Foster had a, uh, had a pretty rough going there in the third quarter, and we'll get into him later. Another thing was this was our best game at creating pressure getting after the quarterback. Now, the problem is Kellen Mond, the quarterback at Texas A&M, he's a baller, by the way. We learned that, but he did escape a lot of it. But we were putting him under pressure better than we put anybody under pressure so far this season. We ran the ball pretty well, 5.3 yards per carry, and um, uh, the ball was kind of distributed evenly between receivers, which is something that's kind of been on and off all season, too. So that's those are my positives so far. Uh, just thinking about it. Yeah, I, I think uh, the pass rush is definitely what I was going to mention, and also the coverage on the wide receivers, because you don't get great pass rush like that on a lot of those plays without those receivers being kind of bundled up by 
Minka Fitzpatrick and company, who all, I mean, for the most part, had great games. I can't really remember a play uh, that occurred where, you know, it was a, a negative play for Alabama because of the defensive backfield. Um, and I, I thought that was something that was really positive to take away. Minka Fitzpatrick's uh, interception at the two-yard line was very impressive uh, and really could not have come at a better time. Uh, also, his play on hands team, which I think Alabama may be the only team in history to have a defensive back uh, on the hands team, but I, I, I'll let you all sort of sort <laughs> that out. Um, you know, he's he's been announced today as a midseason All-American. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. He's the captain at the helm of this defense, and he's, he's playing his ass off this season. Uh, it's really something that I've enjoyed watching. Um, I said it was going to be big in the Texas A&M game, the defensive back play, uh, and they played pretty well. I think the, uh, you know, and like, like we said, the pass rush was there. It's just had a hard time wrapping up Kellen Mond in the backfield, and that's going to happen sometimes. Um, another positive, and we talked about this a little bit, and you said it pretty well earlier uh, before we started the podcast, Every bad thing that could have happened, every worst case scenario that could have happened in that game happened, and Alabama still won comfortably enough. Now, I'm not going to say it was a comfortable win, because I think everybody was on the edge of their seats by the end of it, and I don't think it's a, a, a too much of a leap to say if they play like that against a top-five opponent, they will not win. No. Period. This is, this uh, is one of those... Um, this is one of those necessary games that any good team goes through. I can't think of a single team that's gone all the way through their schedule, won a national championship, winning every single game by 20, 30 points. You know, this was, there's still positives that can be gained from this game. And Nick Saban said as much in his press conferences, but again, I'm going to go back to, I wrote this down. I've got a, I've got a list of stuff here. I was actually less angry at this game on my uh, second viewing than I was on my first, but there was a third quarter, Right, we just mentioned the Foster drive. First down on that drive, he ran. He was wide open and just misjudged a ball. Didn't get under it. Probably his fault. Play wouldn't have counted anyway because of an illegal receiver downfield. Second down, he drops it on a first and fifteen right at the first down marker. Drops it would have been third and one. So third and fifteen now. He catches it, gets hit, fumbles it. We lose the ball. Right. That's three very bad plays from one guy. That led to that Texas A&M drive where they got a really long 4th and 10 for conversion, then went from that to getting the 4th and goal on the big weird scramble. That moment where they scored there was the first moment since the first quarter of the FSU game where Alabama looked vulnerable, in my opinion. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, and you know, the plays like that, I mean... Yeah, we can sit here and say they're going to happen, they're going to happen, which they are. And, you know, it's good to keep that in mind um, that it took them, you know, that much grit and and just perseverance on that drive to even score, to even put the ball across the line. I mean, that's that's a huge positive for Alabama. Fourth yes. and goal from the, the positive two, is if that's what it takes to score on us in an SEC game, score a touchdown because we hadn't given one up at that, to that point, we're, look, we're still looking pretty good. We hate to see the scrambles happen. Of course, as right. fans, they're very frustrating. Well, and it was – it also hurt because it was, you know, all uh, uh, Johnny Manziel. That's exact. That was the first thing I thought of. Was yeah. oh gosh, if they do end up coming back and winning this game, this is the play they're going to show over and over and over again. <laughs> great pass, great catch. I mean, sometimes you just get beat, um, but you got to wrap up and make those tackles. Yeah, um, over pursuit by the defensive line on a guy we hadn't played a quarterback like that this year, but 
a guy I want to talk about, Brick, if we can, uh, Isaiah Bugs. Oh my um, gosh, I'm glad you mentioned him. Yes. So, you know, obviously Deshaun Hand gets injured in the Ole Miss game. A lot of questionable decision-making there that you and I talked about last week. A lot of concern on who's going to step up on the defensive line. I know I was way more concerned about it than you were. Isaiah Bugs leads the team in total tackles, uh, six by himself. No sacks, no tackles for loss. Uh, but when you've got guys like Ronnie Harrison and Raquan Davis uh, at your side and to your back, you know, um, making those tackles for loss, it's a lot easier uh, for you to kind of just wrap them up at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, so I was, I was very pleased with that as well. I felt like that was a big positive for Alabama is that they do still have that depth, uh, even with with guys that you may not be that familiar with. Um, on the other side of the ball, and I got to mention it because uh, I've told you this before, Tyrell Dodson from my hometown, a kid that I worked with when I was in high school at my high school job he came to the summer camp that i was a counselor for uh he was 12 years old then and was my height and was palming and dunking in basketball um an incredible athlete led the texas a&m defense in total tackles with 16 there we one go sack 10 solo uh two and a half tackles for loss i mean he he, he, he played his heart out uh, and I'm, I'm very proud to say that i know him that i was able to work with him for a couple summers and get to know him for a couple summers. Very happy for he and his family that he was able to play well, even more happy that Alabama got the win. But, but back to what I was saying, nice to see Alabama's defense have that depth still, even in the most questionable positions. Yeah. And I didn't think they played a bad game. You know, I think uh, especially first half, we, we punched them in the mouth and we had them kind of reeling and they didn't get many plays. Um, the, the, my biggest complaint about the defense, if I have one, other than maybe the, the pandemonium plays that we didn't finish, were that uh, Texas A&M did have success attacking our perimeter. Uh, they were throwing, um, you know, sweeps out to the receiver or, you know, running off tackle, kind of even wider than off tackle. They did have some success hitting our perimeter and getting chunk yards that way. So I don't know uh, where the problem lies there. Um, skill position-wise, that's going to be the best team we played all year. Uh, Travion Williams, Christian Kirk, even Kellen Mond, who we just saw, might be the quarterback that A&M's been waiting for since someone named Manziel. That is going to be the most skilled team we play at skill positions. But uh, there will be teams, a la Auburn, that do like attack to perimeter, like to attack perimeters. So they're going to have to work to get that short up. Uh, sure, there's going to be a that. lot of uh, a lot of tightening up to be done. Uh, but I, I expect that to get uh, brushed up in practice. And I think, you know, these next two games are crucial for Alabama's development as a defensive side, um, especially with the news coming out of Tennessee today that we'll talk about later uh, this week in the uh, national podcast. Um, but, you know, the Arkansas game for homecoming, the Tennessee game that I'll be attending, um, I think are vital. I think they're very, very important um, for Alabama's development, like I said. Uh, another thing that I want to discuss with you and sort of get your two cents on uh, was the play of J.K. Scott. And the reason I mentioned that, he had a shanked punt where he's trying to kick it away from a guy. He had, and that's the second time we've seen that in a big moment uh, this season. He had a punt blocked. wasn't really his fault. He's backed up on the goal line. They're going to block those nine out of ten times. Uh, the play I do want to mention, and kind of his saving grace and what people aren't really giving him credit for, is the free kick after the safety. It was an absolute bomb. Uh, perfectly placed near the sideline not a lot of running room and it really didn't give them the field position advantage that you usually get from a safety. And I think that's a very underrated play in this game because then Alabama's defense was able to force a what 
third and 26. 26 I mean, after a, a penalty, yeah. Yeah, third and 26, so third and almost a third of the field, uh, and then the game doesn't really seem that close. Um, you know, so that's that's something that I was really pleased with uh, was his ability to bounce back. Do you think that uh, J.K. Scott's, you know, sort of getting the yips, for lack of a better word, or is this just sort of a, you know, uh, freak accident sort of couple time thing uh, per season? Well, the long field goal, he's missed a couple of those this year. Uh, that I don't think is the yips. I think he's just, yes, you know, if we're kicking 52 yarders with him, I, I'd, I'd feel better just punting or going forward on fourth, depending on the depending on the, the down and yard or the yardage there to get first down. Uh, you know, he's just he's not hitting the long field goals, and if we're missing him, it's it's no worse than going forward in my mind anyway. Um, the punts, I mean, he's been one of the best punters in the country since he was a true freshman. I'm not really worried about the shank. We were kicking to somebody that I'm sure the coaches said, don't let him get the ball. I'm sure they said, kick it out of bounds as far as you can. And he just, it wasn't the worst shank I've ever seen either. It was probably a 25-yard punt. Usually shanks, I'm looking at about a five. Not great, but I'm not worried about J.K. Scott other than maybe long, uh, long field goals, the safety on the punt. Not super worried about backed up on the goal line. Although that part, that safety there, you know, I mentioned that was the first moment where they looked vulnerable earlier. I want to ask you about that sequence afterward. So we look vulnerable. This is the first time that we've had real adversity since the Florida State game. Sure. We were down 7 nothing. Sure. After that, the sequence was a sack on the ensuing drive that ended it essentially, a shanked punt, a hands-of-the-face penalty, then Minka's interception, uh, almost a safety, turned into a safety. Then we were looking more vulnerable than ever. Yeah. And was I, that, I, well, I, meant, I bring that up because how important could that moment be? You know, Saban's going to show them that film and go, this is how you guys responded to this. Yeah, and I think that's good. I also think it was a bit, and I'll say it because it's not been said a lot, how big of a bounce is that 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 is a safety, not a touchdown? Yeah, that's true. Swinging Alabama that's a good point. I mean, you know, Texas A&M recovers that ball in the end zone. You're not looking at a 24-12 game. You're looking at 24-17. Yeah, you're right. And then it's then it's a one-score game in a quarter where you haven't done a lot on offense because you've decided for whatever reason it's the NFL and we need to throw every single play. Um, I I'll never I'll never understand why Alabama insists on throwing the ball with a lead. I See, and I'm actually I don't think it's if you went back and watched the sequence of plays, I told no, you two drives. Don't don't give me that. Don't give me that. Alabama had a 12-point lead with 5 minutes left and threw the ball 50 yards in the air to the goal line. They I'm fine lucky. with running the ball 66% of the time in a game. They got lucky because there was a pass interference call on it. Without that pass interference call, the clock stops. You're sitting at third and long, and you haven't run the ball, and now you can't because you got to make up that yardage. I don't like the play call. Not because not because of the, the turnover possibility or anything, because I believe in the defense. Just because of the absolute stupidity of it. Keep the clock running. What's hard about that? I mean, am, am I just making football too simple? Am I just dumb? I feel like we do oversimplify it, but you have a good point on that specific play. There was another one that I'll take you to as well. Um, there's another drive because I mentioned two drives, and you just mentioned the one play the one play call I was about to agree with you on. The other one was in the first quarter. Our first drive went 
three straight Damian Harris runs. The first two were pretty good. Little chunk plays. He got stopped on third and one. It happens. We punted. Uh, the next play, first play, 75-yard touchdown run by Harris. Right? Score. We're happy. We're in the lead. We're looking great. Woo! Third drive, we get the ball back. Three straight pass plays. Three straight pass yeah. plays coming off of a 75-yard touchdown run. Um, now, one of, them, one of them was a Harris, or not a Harris, sorry, a Jalen Hurts scramble that went for two or three yards. And the next one was a short pass to the tight end that went nowhere. But, right, you just failed on the, on the pass on the first down. You didn't, you know, I know it was a scramble, technically a, a rush, but it wasn't, right? Your pass right. Play, play failed, your mobile quarterback got you out of it. That didn't work. That play did not work. I don't know why you go to the short pass on the next play. I just no, don't I, get I, it. I don't either. I don't either. And the thing that frustrates me, too, is I could see it if you say, okay, he just ran 75 yards for a touchdown. We need to rest him, you know, and we don't have another guy ready to go. We have three running backs that have proven they're ready to go after Damian Harris sits on the bench that are ready to start, that are ready to take that job. You know, I, I, I for me, it, it, I thought back to the last time Alabama was in Kyle Field and gave Derrick Henry the ball 600 times. And it was just that—that that was the game plan, and we won, hand you know, handedly. It was not a difficult game. Um, maybe I'm misremembering it, but I, I just look back to that and I'm like, God, what happened? Like, what, what happened in football? Because even then, Kiffin was there, and we were still throwing the ball with a lead late. You know, and I understand if you if you feel like you've really got a matchup uh, that you like. Calvin Ridley's out of the game at that point. What are we doing slinging the ball across the field with a guy that just dropped a wide open pass and then fumbled the very next play? My, Why are we my, slinging my the only ball thought is maybe they were trying to get him some confidence back. That's that again, but that I'm calling that more of a bad play call than a sequence or a game filled with bad play calls. I still like the balance we had with running the ball 60 to 65% of the time. We had 44 runs to 22 passes. I don't mind that mix. But your the play see the play w- that you just mentioned throwing it to Foster with the pass interference that worked out in the end for us. I was going to bring that up because that was an underrated moment of play calling that I do not agree with, and I don't want to try it against. Sorry, Texas A&M, a much better team in a much bigger situation. I'm with you right. there. Right. It it's just it it gets so frustrating. Uh, honestly, I mean. Play calls like that, I just – that's stuff you do in Madden. I mean, it's its just not stuff that should happen with a – like I said, you got a 12-point lead in a game where you don't really control the momentum right now. All right. You know, that, let's face the facts. You didn't control the momentum. And no, we had – no, we did not have the momentum And momentum by there. the ground and pound that Alabama sort of made their M.O. for the past few years. It's not even regaining momentum that we do. We just completely diffuse the other momentum, and then we just kind of – I see what you're saying, and I don't agree with that. I do want to talk about now somebody – the guy that we threw to on that play that we keep mentioning, Robert Foster. Obviously, that you know drop, drop, fumble drive that we talk about, that's probably the worst drive I've ever seen from an Alabama player ever, right? No matter what, how you slice it, 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 was, whew, it was rough. And that's a guy that you and I have openly been rooting for with the injuries – with the hype coming in, the five-star status, the top receiver in his class, and he's had a bad go of it in his time wearing crimson. Sure. But now sure. I look at it, and I go, that first of all, his confidence, and two, 
the younger guys are making some plays in that game. Judy had some big third down catches. Uh, we even had a, what's his name, a Smith make a couple catches in that play in that game. Um, Irv Smith and Henry Ruggs scored a touchdown. Henry Ruggs, Henry Ruggs you know, had a great touchdown. Yeah, I think it's a good. Point he could start getting up. passed up at this point, you know. And I hate to say that, but I, I don't. The think freshmen aren't making mash, these mistakes, right? I don't think it's time to mash the panic button on Robert Foster yet. Uh, you know, he's, let's let's not let one bad drive ruin the rest of the good plays he's made this season and made Saturday night too. He made a couple big plays Saturday night. Um, you know, I think that everybody has one bad day, and you're allotted to that. Now, if this is something that happens again, I think I think he's one fumble away from. You're right, losing a lot of his prestige and losing a lot of his role on the offense, uh, which I'd hate to see, but. At the same time, you know, if you've got guys behind you that are more willing and ready to play and play right, that's that's part of football. Um, you know, so I, I think it's I think it's an interesting point to bring up, but I don't think we're at that point yet. I don't think it's time to mash the Robert Foster panic button just quite yet. All right, I'm I can agree with that, but I am gonna I also like what you said about he has one or two bad plays or even one or two really good plays from say Rugs or Judy or Irv Smith. He's sure. He's a couple of those away from, like we said, uh, potentially becoming fourth, fifth, sixth ring, losing his role, and that's it for him in Alabama because he's a registered senior. Chris Black. Chris Black, yes. Chris Black injuries, younger players passing him, ends up at Missouri. That's a good That's a good comparison. Now I another comparison. I texted you this, and I'm going to forget to say it. I'm going to wrap this game up in my mind. You can say more if you need to, but this game reminds me of 2014 – our game against Arkansas on the road, couple mm. easy wins before that, kind of the lull. Not, I don't want to say the lull because we're in the 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 conference slate of games, but just in that kind of role that Alabama gets in, where everybody's like, "Yeah, Alabama's great. Let's not worry. Let's not even talk about their games on ESPN right now." That kind of role. We lo- we win that game fourteen thirteen, and this game wasn't that game wasn't sealed until Landon Collins made a late interception on uh, Brandon Allen. Right. The next week, we go out and beat A and M fifty nine nothing. I'm hoping that's what you know. I'm hoping that's the way this team responds to this game. That got close, has people going. All right, Clemson's clearly playing better football right now. They're probably the number one team. So let me let me Alabama ask looks vulnerable again. Let me ask you something. That that game you just mentioned in 2014, that was against Arkansas. Yes. Yes. And then we beat who fifty nine nothing the game. It after? was it was Texas A and M. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. I could see something like that happening again. I think Arkansas especially, now that we're sort of transitioning, and I, I'll i make my piece in about five seconds with the Texas A&M game. Put it in the rear view, work harder, prove to everybody it was not a fluke game, but it was a game that you overcame adversity uh, at a loud environment and that you're done with. Put it, put it on the back burner, all right? Get it in the back of your head. Uh, forget about it. Remember what you were doing against Vanderbilt and Ole Miss. Go back to that play calling structure and really ground and pound the ball. Uh, moving on to Arkansas, a defense that has struggled, that's been thwomped by TCU and uh, beaten in a heartbreaker against an AM team that Alabama just beat. Uh, that turned out to be a great game, but didn't go the way that the Razorbacks probably wanted. Austin Allen, uh, quarterback one of the 19 Allen brothers that are apparently going to go play at Arkansas. Eight TDs this season, four picks, uh, 66 of 117 for 850 yards, uh, which doesn't sound great, but then you look down, Jalen Hurts is 70 for 111, 
870 yards with seven TDs. No interceptions, though. And I feel like that's the big key. I think this could be a huge game for Alabama's defensive backs. I predict, uh, if I could make a bold prediction, break, I, I would predict two interceptions by this defensive backfield on Austin Allen on Saturday. Well, 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 I'm glad you mentioned that because this same player, this same Austin Allen, let's not forget last year against Alabama, he threw for 400 yards. He hit the 400-yard mark against Alabama, but three interceptions and three touchdowns. Mm. You can tell that I wrote an Alabama story in my show today. <laughs> I love it. No, it's it's good. It's good. Um, you know, uh, they're running back uh, Chase Hayden, um, 50 carries for 275 yards and four touchdowns. It's something that, um, you know, Arkansas has been sort of their, their staple the past few years uh, when the passing game isn't theirs. Their running backs are usually those big bruisers that, you know, sort of mini-me, Trent Richardson, Eddie Lacy type. Uh, to really get in there and, you know, bust through the holes and scramble ahead after getting hit for a few more yards and falling forward for a first down. That's not going to work against Alabama. We've seen it too many times. LSU's tried to do it the past two years. Arkansas has tried to do it the past couple of years. It just doesn't really work. Uh, if you're going to beat Alabama, you need an athletic quarterback in the backfield who's going to be able to make things happen with his legs, and you're going to have to have a couple lucky bounces. Arkansas does not have a guy who can make things happen in the backfield. Austin Allen plays with a lot of heart. We saw it last season. I don't think he's got the ability to beat Alabama, uh, especially in Tuscaloosa, especially on homecoming. And let's not talk, let's not forget that they're coming off a 48-22 loss to Will Muschamp's South Carolina football team. Yes, who is meh. Yeah, no, I mean, South Carolina is improving uh, miraculously at that and actually getting somewhat of an offense quietly under Will Muschamp, and uh, we'll probably talk about it at some point during a national podcast, even though there's not much to say about South Carolina. Uh, four and two, not horrible. But, no, Arkansas really got taken to the woodshed against a team that they had no business losing to by 26 points. Um, and that was with 12 points in the fourth quarter during a meaningless time, late, late, late in that game with, like, a minute left. Um they really got beat worse than that. I, I think Arkansas has lost the spark to their season. And I think Brett Bielema is now kind of getting into a... Getting off his lukewarm seat that he's seemingly had for two, three years now. And he's he's moving into the hot seat territory here. Right? This is really uninspired looking team. Um, that I watched that game. It was on where I was watching football last week. It's going to be tough yeah. to go into, to, into Tuscaloosa and regain momentum. Right, especially when you get, you know, a lot of, um, you know, what the headlines have been after the Texas A&M game. Calvin Ridley will be back for the Arkansas game. He had a bruised thigh, I believe is what it was. Yeah. Uh, Tony Brown will also be back. He got dinged up. I think it was an ankle issue with Tony Brown, uh, twisted or sprained somehow. But um, and Diggs, Diggs, I want to say Diggs was practicing at uh, this week too, and he should. Yes, he yeah, should the last I heard, Diggs role. was in a black non-contact jersey, but was quote ready to go. Uh, they were just sort of saving him and didn't want to get him hurt. Um, you know, so those are three pieces, and I know Calvin Ridley will really want to get back out there and show his stuff. Um, I think this could 
get uh, ugly for the Razorbacks quickly. I expect Jalen Hurts to have a big game. I expect Damian Harris to have another big game as well. And sort of, you know, he's sneakily rising up the ranks in the rushing standings. I don't want to bring him up just yet. I want to wait a week to see if I'm right on that prediction. So if he has a tough game, it's not really worth bringing up. But next week, if he's got another good game where he gets, you know, 120-plus yards and a couple touchdowns under his belt, we need to start looking at his season totals compared to the rest of the nation. Because uh, it, it's it's kind of eye-opening. It really is. You're talking about um, Harris? I am talking about Damian Harris, yes. Yeah. Oh, you're uh, right. That's you know. a good call. So I, I want to wait a week before we pull out those stats. Uh, but just watch for that. Um, like I said, I think this could get ugly for Arkansas quick. Uh, if I could give a score prediction right now, Brick, I would probably say that it's going to be about 42. I'm going to say 42-14 Alabama. Okay, I like that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give Arkansas this, you know, if because I, I always kind of go into how they can win. So this is how Arkansas can win. they got to come out, um, essentially do have the success they had throwing the ball last year without the pick sixes. Remember, Minka Fitzpatrick had two pick sixes against Arkansas last year, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, three interceptions. So is this a game? That might be the game where he had three picks and two of them were for touchdowns. Um, but Austin Allen's got to put South Carolina behind him. Uh, he had 84 passing yards. His backup came in through 11 less passes and threw almost double what he did in garbage time last week. That's bad. He's got to get his moxie back. We've seen these Allen kids are both pretty good quarterbacks and obviously had the success last year, but it's just going to come down to really expensive exposing more of what A&M did well at, which is attacking the perimeter and hitting those intermediate passes on third downs. These guys just have to play a magic game. I sound like a broken record. How do you beat Alabama? Your quarterback comes out and has a, you know, an all-world kind of game. Uh, I'm right. going score prediction. I think Alabama gets right back to it this week. I'm going, I'll go, I'm going to give them a lot of points. I think they're going to try to do it for the homecoming crowd at night. I'm going to go 51-7. I like it. I like it. Uh, seven's a little low for me, if I'm being honest, because I think if you, I think you sort of get in that weird stage where if Alabama gets ahead by too many, they start putting in the twos, they start putting in the threes, uh, they start putting in the younger guys, and that's when a touchdown comes. You I know, guess I'm kind of putting Arkansas more on the Vanderbilt Ole, Vanderbilt Ole Miss level than I am Texas A&M level. And at home, you know, and like you mentioned, at night, it's it's going to be tough for them to score a lot of points. Yeah, I think that, I just think that this is they're they're closer to the bottom of the conference than they are to the I'll, I'll put and in the middle of the conference, um, weak conference at that. I'm getting off Very track. Weak. Very <laughs> getting weak. Getting off. To, getting off we, track there. We need to talk about we need to talk about that again in the national podcast later in the week. But uh, Brick, I, I'd say that does it for this one, my friend. Yeah, um, uh, we, I, we 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 got down to business. We dissected the game for you. Uh, if you had any more questions. Feel free to ask us, and we'll uh, we'll we'll be sure to answer them via however however you reach out to us: email, Twitter, Facebook. Go ahead, do it. Uh, yeah, no, email patsinterference at gmail dot com. You can find us on Facebook at p a t s. That is uh, p a t apostrophe s. Excuse me, Pat's interference. Uh, on Twitter, we are at pi underscore podcast. You can go to our website at patsinterference.com dot com and find all of this as well. As well, uh, if you did not enjoy the streaming uh, service that you listen to today. Good news. We're everywhere. Amazon, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes. Uh, go ahead and leave us an iTunes review. That's really how we grow the brand. Uh, and we're really trying to uh, to kind of climb up the charts this year. You know, it's, it's season three. 
it's season three. It's it's about time we sound like we know what we're doing. Uh, so go ahead and leave us a review if you're enjoying it or not, and tell us why, and we'll try and fix it uh, for the next time you listen. And hopefully you listen again. Uh, break before we leave. I want to I want to mention because it is Tuesday, uh, the Loving Pet Inn Adoptions in uh, Guilford County. Uh, it's in North Carolina. They're located at 820 Gallimore Dairy Road in High Point, North Carolina. That's uh, 27265. Their phone is 336-393-0000. Pretty easy. Uh, you know, they, a lot of great dogs over there. They got a big old yard. They're very, very extensive in their background checks, which I appreciate. Uh, puppies, dogs, cats, birds, anything that you could possibly think you might want. Uh, the Loving Pet in Adoption probably has it. If you are interested in just donating but you're not really sure that you want to adopt a pet, that's perfectly fine. Go to their website, lovingpetandadoptions.org. There's a uh, donate button uh, right in the middle of your screen. You click that, it's PayPal donation. $2 buys an entire bag of dog treats that feeds four dogs. Nice. That is awesome. There you go. Uh, Started in 2010. So great people over there. Uh, Dogs are the best. Uh, this has been a fun podcast. People, thank you so much for listening. We couldn't do this without you. My dog is rubbing her eyes currently. I think she's telling me that she is ready to go to bed. Uh, so I, I think it's time to put this one to a close. But Brick, most importantly, roll, roll tight. tight.